Good evening, everyone. I'm starting a little bit early just because I hit the wrong camera, but let's get rolling anyway. This is my first time orchestrating the live stream across multiple different platforms, almost completely by myself. I only had a little bit of help from Andy. I'm very proud of myself. I'm not as technologically advanced as Andy is. Thank you for your help, dear. I appreciate it. Let me go here to the camera we're supposed to be on. There's Andy's arm. Andy, hi. Still, thank you, dear. Are still Should be. Let's see here. Let's see what we got. That looks good. I see us. Questionable. Well, if you guys can't see us, let us know. Although I guess if you can't see us, you can't hear me ask that question. So we're just going to play it by ear tonight and see how it works. And I'm going to try to figure out how to set this up. So that I can see what you guys are saying while I'm doing this. I have the pop-out chat function from Rumble too. Very cool. Rumble is very similar to YouTube in a lot of ways. If you guys aren't familiar with Rumble yet, go over there and check it out for sure. It's a lot of fun. Just a little different. I appreciate them and I love the idea of not being part of big tech. So... We have some really, really super good news today. We have some questionable news, and then we have great news. So I think we're going to start with the kind of unfortunate news, and we're going to highlight some of the dangers ahead of us, and then we're going to talk about some of the other stuff that's uh, coming down the pike for us, and some of the recent conservative culture war wins. So thank you all for joining. Like, share, subscribe wherever you are if you are over on Rumble. By all means, subscribe over there. Even if you have to make a user, it's good to have a user on these alternative platforms. If you're on Twitter, definitely check us out there too. Retweet, share. I'm sure Andy's probably going to tweet at some point this evening, although I'm not on YouTube, so I won't be able to see him chat at me. It's going to be kind of discombobulated because we don't have such an easy way to communicate just with the one like YouTube chat function. But in any case, we will figure it out. How many people we get watching on Twitter? Yes, yes. We'll see how Twitter goes. The, the tweet there, this one here. That one there? Yeah. What's it say, dear? I want it's this to tweet. go away. My tweet. Oh, oh, right. This is, there's a tweet involved here. Fascinating. Yes, dear? The live stream is an actual tweet. Right. The live stream is a tweet, so... People can watch it over there on Twitter as well. All right, let's get the ball rolling here and talk about what we're going to talk about because we are going to start with a rather disturbing story about a gentleman named Mark Houck, and he's going to tell us the story of what happened to him when he was protesting in a pro-life manner at an abortion clinic. I forget what state it was in, but it did not end the way the feds wanted it to, kind of. Let's read the story. Long guns pointed at me and my seven children. Pro-life dad tells lawmakers about arrest. All right, let's read this. So this is from yesterday. Here's a lightly edited transcript of what Mark Houck, a pro-life dad who was arrested last year at gunpoint and then later acquitted by a jury, told House lawmakers during a hearing on Tuesday. The hearing revisiting the implications of the FACE Act was held by the House Judiciary Subcommittee on the Constitution and Limited Government. 20 years ago, I began pro-life work in the city of Philadelphia. Oh, right. It was Philadelphia. Not known for its peacefulness, despite the name being of brotherly love. I did peaceful protests and prayer vigils in front of many abortuary facilities in Philadelphia. So this is what he calls them. He calls them abortuaries, which is pretty clever now that I think about it. 
They have always been peaceful. I want to bring you to October 13th, 2021, where I was with my son, 12-year-old son, praying in front of an abortuary in Philadelphia. On that day, a couple of women walked out of the facility. I began to offer them literature, as I always do, with compassion, love, and great respect. In fact, I was 50 feet away from the entrance of the building. I proceeded to walk with these women across the street, making me about 100 feet away from the entrance of the building, to a crisis pregnancy center, pregnancy resource center, which was about 6 feet away from me. At that time, an escort in the building decided to run over, impede my progress, and get in the way of me ministering and talking to the women that had left Planned Parenthood at 12th and Locust Streets in Philadelphia. At that point, we exchanged some words, we went back to where we were praying, and I continued to pray with my 12-year-old son. About 20 minutes later, the escort, his name is Bruce Love, I've known him for years, I've met him, I've known him for 20 years, came out of the building. He made a direct line toward my son, stood right next to my son. Again, we're about 50 feet from the entrance of the building. He stood right next to my 12-year-old boy, who was a little intimidated and scared by this. I asked him if he could please give him some space. He did not. He has a right to be there. He just con- We just continued to pray. He continued to talk to me and offer insults to me, which, of course, he's done before, and it was never a problem for me, and I didn't listen to it. But then he started to begin to talk to my son. And remember, this is a transcript of a verbal communication, so it's going to be a little bit spotty. Now he's talking to my son before. He's talked to my son before. In fact, I believe he taught my son the F word. I'm a homeschool dad and that's the reality of it. Nonetheless, he begins to talk to my son and badger him and starts telling him how evil his father is and how his father doesn't want to help women. I instructed him, I'm assuming he means Bruce here, to step away and go back to where he normally stands in front of the building, which he did not. He continued to badger my son. After repeated requests not to stand next to my son, I escorted him back to where he normally stands, which he did comply. I turned around to face my son and to go back to pray, and he turned around and began to badger my son again. At that point, I became a dad on the street concerned for my son. I did push the man. He did fall down. We went, we prayed for the man, we returned to the scene, I presented my information to the Civil Affairs Department, that night, that day, I gave my information. I want you to know that the Philadelphia Police Department and the District Attorney in Philadelphia, as well as the Civil Affairs Department, did not intend to prosecute. They had no interest in that. I was put in a private criminal complaint, which was dismissed. I want to take you to April 22nd, um, five days later. This was in 2022. I was served a target letter on the same street corner with my 12-year-old son, a target letter that I was the target of a federal indictment. Okay, so first, the city said that they didn't want to do anything with a possible charge for him pushing down this man. We can debate whether or not he did the right thing. This man was up in his son's face, um, and I can't help feeling like if you're a parent, you probably empathize with this to a great degree. If someone's in your kid's personal space and pushing on them and pr- trying to pressure them and put pressure on you because they disagree with you politically, this man has more patience than I would have probably because he's been doing it for so long. But um, he did end up pushing him. He didn't end up falling. But then he went and he made it right with he went and talked to the city. He's like, all right, I feel like I did something wrong here. If you decide you want to punish me in some way, by all means, go ahead. So he said, no, we're not going to do that. And then he found out they wanted to federally indict him. Really interesting. 
Fast forward to September 23rd. My attorneys reached out initially at the target letter, stating that we would peacefully present ourselves to the district. There would be no need to come out to his house and disrupt his family and cause any trauma to them. That he's a peaceful man. He will come in. We said that. In August of 2022, my attorney reached out to me and said, have you heard from the assistant U.S. attorney? I said, no. She won't return my phone calls, he says. Well, maybe we'll just let sleeping dogs lie. That was not to be. On September 23rd, my home was raided by 10 unmarked and marked units, state troopers, federal law enforcement personnel. I had five federal agents on my doorstep at 6.30 in the morning with long guns pointed at me and my seven children. They banged on the door and said, open up. They did not even declare who they were that day. They didn't even ask me, could you please open the door or the FBI? They just said, open up. I went to the door. I was up. I said, who is it? They said, it's the FBI. So I opened the door peacefully. I said, please stay calm. I have seven babies in here. They pointed M16 guns at me and my wife. My wife came down and said, do you have a warrant for his arrest? They said, we are taking him with or without a warrant. My wife said, you can't do that. That's kidnapping. We proceeded to go into a four and a half month trial, as you know, and have said previously that they were acquitted of, but I was facing 11 years in prison. I had every prospect in my heart that I would be in federal prison away from my seven kids. Thankfully, we were able to be acquitted and I'm blessed to be able to share the story today. Thank you. I don't know about you guys, but that is a crazy story. The fact that this man, he did something he knew that he shouldn't have done, immediately apologized, went to the city and said, look, if you guys want to do anything with this, let me know. I'm not a violent person. I've been a pro-life protester for a really long time. This never happened before, et cetera, et cetera. You know, let, let me know what I need to do to make it right. And then they found out that he was being federally indicted or the feds were going to attempt to indict him. And they were like, okay. And then they were waiting to hear back from them, waiting, waiting, waiting. And his lawyer was like, have you heard anything back? He said, no. The next day, it sounds like, or the next month, so shortly thereafter, the feds were knocking on his door, armed with guns pointed at his family. That's insane to me. Absolutely insane. That to me just sounds like the Biden administration cracking down on pro-life protesters. But thankfully, this is the worst news I have to bring you today. We have much better news coming down the pike in North Carolina. I don't know if you guys heard about this. North Carolina's GOP-led General Assembly overrode the Democratic governor's 12-week abortion ban veto. Democrat governor, Republican um, General Assembly, uh, enough Republicans can overrule a judge, uh, a governor's veto. So that's exactly what they did here, which honestly, I'm very proud of them. North Carolina's Republican-led General Assembly moved Tuesday to ban most abortions after 12 weeks. It's something. It's a start. We'll take it. 12 weeks is a great point to start negotiating about putting an end to this. Voting to override a veto from Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. The state house voted 72 to 48 along party lines hours after the state Senate voted 30 to 20 to do the same. A three-fifths vote in both chambers where Republicans hold supermajorities was needed to override the governor's previous rejection of the measure. They used their supermajority for good here. Cooper, who had previously pressed on the lawmakers to sustain his veto, said in a Twitter post following the votes that North Carolinans now understand that Republicans are unified in their assault on women's reproductive freedom, blah, blah, blah. You guys know the euphemisms. You know the pseudonyms. Reproductive freedom women's rights, etc., etc., completely discounting the fact that there is another person in this equation. Classic Democrat claptrap. 
and we are energized to fight back on this and other critical issues. Well, it's good that you're energized because you're going to keep getting shot down if the Republicans have a supermajority in your state house. Very exciting stuff. He had vetoed the abortion ban Saturday after the General Assembly swiftly advanced the bill to his desk. Republican-led state legislatures across the nation have sought to restrict the procedure in the wake of Roe v. Wade's reversal last year, while Democratic lawmakers have attempted to stave off similar bans. As North Carolina legislatures and uh, legislators enacted the bill Tuesday, the South Carolina House of Representatives was in the midst of an hours-long debate on a six-week abortion ban bill after Democratic lawmakers said they filed over 1,000 amendments to it. The governor had placed pressure on four state Republican lawmakers who had previously vowed to protect abortion rights. State representatives Ted Davis, John Bradford, Trisha Cotham, and Republican State Senator Michael Lee by paying visits to their districts and urging them to stand by their comments. I'm glad that they did not. We're going to have to kick it into an even higher gear when that veto stamp comes down. It's just one Republicans, uh, it's just one Republican in either of the House or Senate keeps a campaign promise to protect women's reproductive health, we can stop this ban, Cooper said at a rally on Saturday. So he did his best. He failed, thankfully. So this is the bright spot, I have to say. We have some negative pro-life news as far as Mark Houck. Thankfully, he escaped without going to federal prison for 11 years. Thank goodness. Very happy to hear that, but not for lack of trying on the Biden administration's part. Absolutely wild to me. All right, let's see what the chat is saying. Just got my notification for Rumble. That's great. Going to watch later post. Just getting FaceTime call from the other family members. Graduation, by all means. Family definitely comes first. Completely understand. Thank you all for joining us. However many of you there are, I can't see, which makes me feel very strange. I feel like I'm talking to a wall, but that's okay. I can talk to myself for extended periods of time. Or just pretend I'm talking to a... Uh, dip or dot. You know, good stuff. Here's some more good news on the pro-life front. California officials will be will be forced to pay $1.4 million to churches after an abortion mandate backfires. So ADF, which is the Alliance Defending Freedom, Senior Counsel Jeremiah Gallus described multi-year lawsuits as significant victory. Thank goodness. So... So good to hear. I'm so great. I'm so grateful to hear it. So this is going... This is taking place in multiple different states, which is fantastic. Um, more hiccups. My goodness, it never ends. Um, this is exactly how it's supposed to be decided. So this is the 10th Amendment in action, right? So because abortion is not a right, first of all, never declared in the Constitution, of course not. Why would the Founding Fathers have anything to say about abortion? That's absolutely nonsense. Because it wasn't specifically laid out in the Constitution and it wasn't specifically given to the federal government, it never should have been the purview of the federal government to force this down on individual states. The 10th Amendment says that any power not specifically given to the federal government should be left to the states. That is exactly the case. That's exactly what should have happened here. And it's what's going on now. So let's read this story from California. Very rare to get good pro-life news out of California. California officials have agreed to pay $1.4 million in legal fees for churches that pushed back against a state mandate that abortions be covered in health insurance plans. Attorneys with a nonprofit Alliance Defending Freedom successfully resolved two lawsuits dating back to 2015 and 2016 involving four churches that objected to the abortion coverage mandate the nonprofit legal organization announced last week. Foothill Church in Glendora, Calvary Chapel of Chino Hills in Chino, and Shepherd of the Hills Church in Porter Ranch sued in 2015 over the mandate from the Department of Managed Health Care. 
Mary Watanabe, director of the department, was named as a defendant. The Alliance also submitted formal complaints with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services alleging a violation of religious conscience. Of course, that's a violation of uh, religious conscience. That's insane to me. The group's attorneys filed a second lawsuit in 2016 on behalf of Skyline Wesleyan Church near San Diego, which likewise challenged the mandate on constitutional grounds. Of course. On February 2nd, the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of California issued a permanent injunction on behalf of the three churches in the Foothill Church case, finding that the state abortion coverage mandate was in violation of the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. Of course it was. On May 9th, California Attorney General Rob Bonta laid out an agreement between the churches and the defendant Watanabe that will see the State Department pay the plaintiffs $500,000 in attorney fees by June 30th. Thank goodness. I'm so glad they won this case. I'm so glad the individual state. So much as I appreciate the power of the individual state, the individual state still does not have the power to cram down requirement that a church, a religious organization, do something that grossly violates what is clearly expressed as their religious conscience. This is something that is consistent through Christian churches across the board, unless they're grossly progressive. Like, you get some Unitarian Universalist churches. There's some around here. They're covered in pride flags. They're covered in BLM posters. It's wild. And you know that there's no difference between those churches and the rest of the world. But for actual churches, churches who truly believe what the Bible tells them to do, there is a command against ending a human life. And that means abortion, too, as we interpret it. Because we believe that abortion ends a human life, of course, that makes abortion against the Bible. And the Bible constantly talks about how we are knit together in our mother's womb long before we're ever born. Talks about the quickening where John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb at the mention of Jesus. All of this stuff goes into the Bible and it's not something that you can deny and it is not something that you can force people to do if they're part of a church. So great news on that pro-life front as well. Pretty good, pretty good stuff. I know not everything's perfect. Um, Donald Trump, for example, has been pointing out or has been saying lately that abortion is not a winning topic for conservatives at this point, and he could not be more wrong. I'm sorry. And in fact, I will not vote for a candidate. It doesn't matter what party they're aligned with. I'm not going to vote for a candidate who is not pro-life. That is my, that's my sticking point. That's my hill to die on. And I don't think that surprises anyone. Um, and it doesn't really matter who it is. I will fight the culture war myself. If I can't vote for a candidate who is pro-life, what's the point? If you don't have human life, if you're not protecting that right, what are you fighting for? Seriously, like, why are you even trying to defend, for example, the right to own guns? If someone doesn't even exist, if someone didn't make it out of the womb, no one cares about their right to own a gun because they don't matter. They don't exist. They never existed. Wild to me that we think that we can get away from this. That's not something we can escape. It's interesting that Trump mentioned that because he also was talking about pretty frequently about how he's he was the one who made overturning Roe v. Wade possible. And I've constantly said that's something that I'm incredibly grateful for. That's something really, really important, something I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. I was not holding my breath for that one, but it was very, very important that it happened. And thankfully, with the judges that he was able to appoint, he was able to make that happen. But now he seems to be walking it back. I don't like it. I won't vote for it. I won't vote for a Republican candidate who's not pro-life. It's just that simple. But again, I don't really think my vote matters that much. I've never voted for someone who won. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully he changes his tune, but we'll see. 
We do have some other good news. Let's read this one. Out of here. L.A. Dodgers cave and eject anti-Catholic group from LGBTQ pride event after backlash. The Dodgers removed the group given the strong feelings of people who have been offended. It wasn't just that these people were offended. They were bringing up the very pertinent argument that bringing in these groups, these their functionally hate groups, was putting a target on their back. I think they were entirely right. I'm really glad that the Dodgers decided to do this, and I hope this will set a precedent for other organizations. I know the Dodgers aren't exactly who you would think of sticking up for religious freedom, but they are in this instance. It's very important. Dodgers removed the group. Yep. The LA, uh, Los Angeles Dodgers officially removed a left-wing group of so-called trans nuns from their Pride Night honoree list after religious groups raised concerns the event would facilitate anti-Catholic hate. Well, it takes a lot to force anyone to admit that that kind of hate even exists, but they've been pushing the idea of hate and hate crimes so hard and so long, they have to admit at some point that this can also be weaponized against, for example, white people and against Christian groups and against different kinds of religious sects. The MLB team announced it would be honoring the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, a group of queer and trans nuns during a June 16th event, but quickly received backlash from religious groups for the declaration, given the history of anti-Catholic messaging and shocking performances. Their name seems to be designed to trigger Catholics. And I understand wanting to be edgy and wanting to be all satanic or whatever it is they think they're doing. But I think that they're right. I think that they had a point. And I think, and I'm really, really glad that they were able to get their message across to this organization. This year, as part of a full night of programming, we invited a number of groups to join us. We are now aware that our inclusion of one group in particular, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, in this year's Pride Night has been the source of some controversy, the Dodgers wrote in a statement released Wednesday. The team announced it would no longer be honoring the group during the upcoming event. Given the strong feelings of people who have been offended by the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence inclusion in our evening, And in an effort to not distract from the great benefit that we've seen over the years of Pride Night, right, such a benefit, we are deciding to remove them from this year's group of honorees. Good. I'm glad. On Tuesday, religious advocacy advocacy group Catholic Vote called out the Dodgers and urged them to rethink the decision in in order to honor a blatantly sexual, perverted, and disgusting anti-Catholic hate group. We are pleased that the Dodgers reconsider their decision to honor an anti-Catholic hate group known for their gross mockery of Catholic nuns. Catholic Vote President Brian Birch said Wednesday in a statement, While we continue to wonder how such a group was selected in the first place, well, wonder no more, this is the L.A. Dodgers, that means you're in California, that means that California values go. Uh, The incident should serve as a wake-up call for all religious believers, Unchecked woke corporations have no qualms about exploiting people of faith. That's correct. That's why you need to find different businesses to support. And I will not stop hammering this. You guys need to use official public square, official PSQ.com and the official public square app on all app platforms. Make sure that you go and find a company that actually doesn't hate you because one of the things I was going to touch on tonight, but you guys are probably all familiar with at this point is Target and their promotion of transgender cross-dressing appealing clothing for children, okay? And pride apparel for children and babies. This is wild stuff. They are pushing it down as young as they can possibly go. And they have like literally 
binding tank tops for girls. They have tucking swimwear for boys who want to pretend they're girls. They're just promoting this to everyone and it's in everything. And this is part of how they normalize this stuff. And this is why we need to use apps like Public Square. So check them out if you have not already. Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio, who criticized the Dodgers' decision to invite the group, also reacted to the Wednesday announcement. For once, common sense prevailed in California, Rubio tweeted Wednesday. Yes, very rare California W. It would be an outrage and a tragedy if the MLB, in pursuit of modern, secular, and anti-religious values, rebuked that faith in the millions of believing fans who cherish the sport, Rubio had said Tuesday. Catholic League, a religious civil rights group, also blasted the team's controversial honoree pick. The Los Angeles Dodgers have besmirched their legacy of combating bigotry by partnering with L.A. Pride in awarding this year's Community Hero Award to an obscene anti-Catholic group, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, it wrote on Twitter. The Dodgers' decision to revoke the invite to the anti-Catholic group comes amid a trend of well-known companies being called out for sponsoring individuals who contra- with controversial viewpoints and lifestyles. This is good. This is exactly how it should be. Conservatives should push this to the limit and they should never let up because this is something that the left has become very adept at, very, very skilled at. Not only do they control the institutions, they also understand that in order to get things done, in order to push an institution and a corporation and a business, anybody like that, you just need to speak up and you need to be relentless. Tell them exactly what you want exactly why you want it and make it happen and you can do it that's exactly what we're seeing this is in california nonetheless need i emphasize again bud light of course we know recently came under fire for teaming teaming up with a transgender activist whom we will not name an individual nationwide uh, individuals nationwide began boycotting the brand as a result of the campaign so that's fantastic news as well i'm very happy to hear that So I think that's great. And on the topic of states' rights, I think that we should talk next about this one because this is also really positive news. So I've been saying for some time, if you guys have been listening to me for any length of time at all, I've been talking a lot about how how I do not believe we are going to have a civil war. I think we're going to have a natural sort as people move to be closer to people with whom they at least don't outwardly disagree, right? We can get along with people. Americans can get along with a lot of different people with a lot of different viewpoints. We did it for years. We did it for decades, honestly, but it's been pushed too far at this point and it only makes sense to me that people move to places where others agree with them or at least don't outright hate them, at least can have that kind of conversation that you would expect to have had maybe in the 90s or early 2000s. So in this instance, we are looking at a case of 24 different states, Republican-led states, committing to help Texas defend its border, which is really, really interesting. Title 42, which allowed for quick expulsion of foreign nationals who'd entered the U.S. illegally during the pandemic, expired last week and raised fears of new surges at the border. 24 Republican governors have responded to Texas Governor Greg Abbott's call for help to secure its border with Mexico. Excuse me, hiccups return with a vengeance. The federal government's response handling the expiration of Title 42 has represented a complete failure of the Biden administration. I don't think it's a failure. I think it's entirely on purpose. Nothing could possibly surprise me less. The governor said in a joint statement referring to the end of the Public Health Authority Title 42, which expired at midnight on May 11th. 
Title 42 allowed for the quick expulsion of foreign nationals, right, this we know because of COVID-19. With its end, an estimated 150,000 foreign nationals from all over the world are waiting in Mexico to illegally enter the U.S. at any moment, border officials say. And indeed, they have seen huge surges down there. This is after uh, at least more than 7 million people have been apprehended or reported evading capture by law enforcement since President Joe Biden's been in office. There are only 330 million people in the U.S., like natural citizens who actually live here legally. 7 million illegals. Wow. This is not an accident. This is not a failure. This is 100% intentional. You cannot change my mind. The Biden administration recently sent 100, excuse me, 1,500 military personnel to the border. Oh, that should do it. Uh, and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security sent several thousand federal employees to help Border Patrol agents expedite processing of foreign nationals into the U.S., not to block their entry, administration officials have explained. So they're literally not even trying to secure the border. They're trying to make it easier for people to get in. Isn't that exciting? While doing so, the president and DHS secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, who needs to be impeached, continued to argue that the border is closed. That's a lie. He's a liar. Get out of here. Within the past few days, groups of tens of thousands of foreign nationals arrived in the Rio Grande Valley and in other areas of Texas, overwhelming Border Patrol agents, officials said. Abbott has already sent more than 10,000 Texas National Guard troops to the border as border communities continue to declare emergencies. While the federal government has abdicated its duty, Republican governors stand ready to protect the U.S.-Mexico border and keep families safe, the group of 24 governors said. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has exemplified leadership at a critical time, leading the way with Operation Lone Star and deploying the Texas Tactical Border Forces to prevent illegal crossings and keep the border secure, they said. They've been trying. They've been failing. It's very hard. They have a very long border. We support the efforts to secure the border led by Governor Abbott. Governors pledged support in addition to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is deploying troops and resources in the next 24 hours, including those of Alabama, of Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Missouri, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, New Hampshire, Nevada, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Amazing. I'm so happy to hear it. They pledged their support within hours of Abbott's request for help Tuesday afternoon. In his letter to his fellow 49 governors, Abbott wrote, The flood of illegal border activity invited by the Biden administration flows directly across the southern border into Texas communities, but this crisis does not stop in our state. He's correct. Emboldened Mexican drug cartels and other trans trans transnational criminal enterprises profit off this chaos, smuggling people and dangerous drugs like fentanyl into communities nationwide. In the federal government's absence, we as governors must band together to combat President Biden's ongoing border crisis and ensure the safety and security of all Americans deserve. 24 governors agreed. No Democratic governors have responded as of publication. Why would they? They don't care. They want illegal immigrants. They want people to come and make America less white. They've spoken openly about this. They don't. Not only do they not care that the white demographic is shifting down subtly, they love that, that, that this demographic is losing power. I don't care about it one way or the other, but the fact of the matter is that people who come to the U.S. are under, they are under some kind of obligation to the Democrat, Democratic Party who can then say, we let you in, we could kick you out if you don't vote for us or make other requirements like that. Absolutely wild, absolutely insane. Uh, the Democratic governors of three neighboring border states, New Mexico, Arizona, and California, have made no similar requests as Abbott's because also they don't care. 
Republican governors say they are sending support as former ICE chief argues Biden administration policies are the greatest national security threat since 9-11. Far greater, I would argue. And the former CBP chief <coughs> argues this issue is not about immigration, but national security, crime, and terrorism. At least 125 known suspected terrorists have been caught illegally entering the southern border this fiscal year so far. 125 just that we've caught. Just that we've caught. Seriously, that's wild to me. How many do you think made it through? How many do you think are plotting the downfall of the United States? Probably not zero. Previously, in September 2021, 26 Republican governors led by Abbott and former Arizona Governor Doug Ducey sent a letter to Biden requesting a meeting to discuss the border crisis. Biden never replied. One month later, in October 2021, Republican governors then released 10 policy solutions for the president to adopt immediately to secure the border, which he also ignored. Shocking. Last April, 26 Republican governors signed an agreement the American Governor's Border Strike Force to commit to cross-state law enforcement effort, including sharing intelligence, strengthening analytical and cybersecurity efforts, and improving humanitarian effort to protect children and families. Republican governors have also previously sent personnel and sources resources to Arizona and Texas in response to requests from Abbott and Ducey through the Emergency Management Assistance Compact, EMAC. They'd again be sending support through EMAC, which allows participating states to provide resources to those that request aid in times of emergency. The governors argue the border crisis is such an emergency. The EMAC process also assures resources and personnel deployed for emergency situations are eligible for FEMA reimbursement. That's great, but it really puts the Biden administration on blast, and I could not be happier to see it. But I really don't think that the Biden administration is going to do anything about it. They should, but they won't. And that shouldn't surprise anyone at all, unfortunately. I wish it made a difference, but I don't think that it will. I could be wrong. We'll see what happens. I like being wrong in instances like this. I would love to be mistaken. But unfortunately, these are the kinds of instances that I am not usually wrong about. So we'll see what happens. You guys, I finally had a chance to see your YouTube chat. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Let's retweet Andy real fast. Oh no, we're retweeting me. I meant retweet lids. Technically, I can't really retweet myself. Do not go to the one Lydia just said. PublicSQ.com. That's right. There's no official. That's right. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for rescuing us. Official the official Public Square app, which is publicsq.com. There we go. All right, you guys. Let's see what we got next. GOP. Cool. So the GOP is actually notching some Ws, which is very rare for us. We're going to take it. Take it where we can get it. GOP's Jordan Turner threatens CIA with subpoena over Hunter Biden letter records. If the CIA does not produce all responsive documents, the committee may resort to compulsory process, they concluded. Fantastic. House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan and House Intelligence Chairman Mike Turner are seeking information from the CIA on a statement former intelligence officials signed that suggested the Hunter Biden laptop laptop story was a product of Russian disinformation and have threatened the agency with a subpoena to obtain records should it fail to comply. In a Tuesday letter to CIA Director William Burns, the pair requested the agency's cooperation in securing any records related to the statement, saying the committees have reason to believe additional documents remain in the possession of the CIA. The agency previously produced documents for the pair earlier in May. Hopefully they will comply this time around. That's information that we really need to see. The October 2020 statement included the signatures of 51 security officials. I don't know if you guys remember the New York Post's headline, Spies That Lie. 
talking about all the different people who've been complicit in uh, the cover-up of the Hunter Biden story. Crazy. So we have spies that lie, and then we have the Russiagate nonsense. There is no saving our permanent state operatives. They need to be fired, every single one of them. We need to cut funding to these people until they pay. It's not working the way it is now. Not at all. No one's holding it accountable. No one is taking that seriously, and we need to honestly look at that. Like, honestly, honestly look at it. I really appreciate Jim Jordan for pushing this kind of stuff. Not that anything ever super really results because of stuff like this, but I will be watching this for sure. This is very, very interesting. If accurate, this information raises fundamental concerns about the role of the CIA in helping to falsely discredit allegations about the Biden family in the weeks before the 2020 presidential election. Yeah, but it's too late, right? We're three years later. Biden won. Here we are. What are we going to do about it now? I don't know. Not really going to hold my breath on that one, but at least they're doing something. We'll put it that way. Hopefully they will be able to come up with something and they know how some of these machinations work. So we'll see. We will see. All right. One of the other things that they're working on, I just saw this before I came on here today, Representative Anna Paulina Luna, who is down in Florida, if I recall correctly. Let's see here. Yep. Official account for Florida 13. Rep. Anna Paulina Luna. Correct. She says Schiff lied to the American people. That is Adam Schiff and Schiff. And this is entirely correct. He used his position on House Intel to push a lie that cost American taxpayers millions of dollars. He is a dishonor to the House of Representatives. And here she is. Here she is presenting a House resolution in the matter of Adam Schiff in the House of Representatives. Mrs. Ms. Luna, Mrs. Luna, excuse me, submitted the following resolution, which was referred to the committee on fill in the blank date. Very short resolution in the matter of Adam Schiff resolved that pursuant to Article 1, Section 5, Clause 2 of the Constitution, don't worry, we're going to look that up, of the United States, Representative Adam Schiff be, and he hereby is, expelled from the House of Representatives. So we're going to look at Article 1, Section 5, Clause 2, U.S. Constitution. Just because I haven't had a chance to look at that. Each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish the members for disorderly behavior, and with a concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. Curious if they can get two-thirds to do this with her, but I really love it. I think it's fantastic. I want more people to take more initiative like that. Adam Schiff is one of the worst bad actors we've seen. He was behind, like, doxing um, John Solomon, if I recall correctly. He went through and he went... He went through his phone records, which he obtained illegally, and he's done all sorts of shady stuff. He's lied nonstop about the Russiagate stuff. Oh, my goodness. And they're still giving him a platform. So really glad that she is speaking up about him. This is great news as well. It's just all good news today. What can I say? Judge blocks New York City Mayor Adams from busing migrants upstate, which is something that they're trying to do despite their role as a sanctuary state, something that Adams was very, very proud of not so long ago, they're still trying to ship the migrants that Governor Abbott is rightfully sending to them as a sanctuary city, trying to ship them to other places. The city estimates that it has managed to accommodate more than 65,000 migrants thus far. That is a lot. New York judge temporarily barred New York City Mayor, Democratic Mayor, uh, Eric Adams from busing migrants to a neighboring municipality as the city struggles to cope with the influx of new arrivals. The city sent the first batch uh, to the suburbs earlier in May, a move that has drawn vehement opposition, 
opposition opposition <laughs> opposition for the Republican leadership of upstate counties. New York Supreme Court Judge Sandra Scortinos Scortino Tuesday ordered excuse me, let's try that again. New York Supreme Court Judge Sandra Scortino Tuesday ordered her Tuesday order did not force the removal of migrants who have already arrived at select Orange County hotels but forbade the city from sending any additional migrants, the Hill reported. Orange County Executive Stephen Newhouse and County Department of Social Services Commissioner Darcy Miller had brought the case. The city is a self-proclaimed sanctuary city. Orange County is not. So, this is a clear distinction between the county and the city, right? The county and the city are not the same. The The county and the city make completely different rules for what they are. Counties typically aren't sanctuary counties. They tend to be, obviously, that tends to be more to the purview of the city itself. Under the order, the city must continue to pay the expenses of the existing migrants and the county may inspect the hotels housing them should they provide reasonable notice and not interfere with services at the sites. A sanctuary city, New York has struggled to contend with the mass arrival of asylum seekers, a phenomenon exacerbated in part by Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott deliberately transporting migrants to sanctuary cities in a bid to highlight the Biden administration's lax approach to border enforcement. Adams last week signed an emergency order suspending the city's right to shelter rule, CBS reported. He's further sought aid from Albany and Washington to address the influx. Hmm, Interesting, but he's going to keep talking-ish about Greg Abbott because he cannot talk-ish about Joe Biden, which is really fun. So, another place that they're sending these migrants front lawn is to Kamala Harris's front lawn. Isn't that exciting? I thought that was wonderful. Migrant bus arrives at Kamala Harris's doorstep hours before the end of Title 42. A busload of migrants from Texas arrived at Vice President Kamala Harris's, uh, excuse me, residence in Washington, D.C. on Thursday, hours before Title II was set to expire. More than 30 migrants, men, women, and children, most from Venezuela, were dropped off outside the U.S. Naval Observatory, which hosts the official residence of the Vice President, according to NBC News. The outlet reports that the bus is the second to arrive at the Naval Observatory in less than 24 hours, with the first vehicle dropping off almost 40 individuals. Texas has been busing migrants to Harris's house and to other liberal enclaves since last year in an effort to demonstrate the challenge that border states face due to the immigration crisis and dispute the Biden administration's claims that the border is secure. I love this, but I really want to see actual progress made because of this. From what I can see, Kamala Harris has still refused to say anything about this. I don't think she's addressed this at all. Let's see what she has to say. Kamala Harris addresses... Migrant bus. <laughs> I don't see it. Nope. She didn't speak to it. Fascinating. Although everyone is saying buses carrying migrants are arriving outside Kamala Harris's residence. I think it's fair. I do. I really, really do. I think it's 100% fair. In fact, I think that people who are responsible for policies like this should always, always see the result of their actions because I feel like they get away with it far too much. They never actually have to deal with the fallout from what they've done, right? And I'm so glad that Greg Abbott is pushing this. I think it's fantastic. All right, this is the last thing I want to talk about tonight. I want to get your take on this, guys, my small, lovely audience. What do you think about this? Montana has become the first state to completely ban TikTok. Is that good? Is it bad? What does it mean for the future? 
FBI Director Christopher Wray has repeatedly warned of the app's potential threat to Americans. Montana Republican Governor Greg Gianforte on Wednesday signed into law legislation that forbids Chinese social media platform TikTok from operating within the state. Wow, so that's at all. That's not just on state-operated devices. That's super interesting. While numerous states have moved the bar to bar use of the app on official devices, Montana's legislation is the first thing to bar the app from operating within the entire state at all, Reuters noted. Montana lawmakers approved the plan in April with the state house voting 54 to 43 to bar the app's operation. The state Senate backed in, backed in a 30 through 20 vote. The measure further forbids app stores from offering it for download within Montana's borders. Really curious how they're going to enforce this one. Kind of interesting to think about how you couldn't just go to a different state and buy a phone and bring it back to Montana. The app has come under fire from security officials and policymakers due to the close relationship between parent company ByteDance and the Chinese Communist Party. They've got a point there. FBI Director Christopher Wray, for instance, has repeatedly warned the app's potential threat to Americans. I guess my point is just is that is that just to tie it all up, TikTok is a substantial national security threat for the country of a kind that we didn't face in the past, he said in April. Montana law is likely to face legal challenge. Nothing would surprise me less. I can't help thinking that Montana is on to something here because the fact of the matter remains and always will, will remain that uh, TikTok actually is a national security threat. Not just that, it's a culture war threat. As we all know at this point, TikTok pushes what's functionally fentanyl to American teens while it serves broccoli to Chinese teens. <coughs> In China, TikTok pushes science videos, pushes all kinds of like educational stuff. It cuts off at 10 p.m. In the U.S., you have access to it 24-7 and it pushes self-harm. It pushes eating disorders. It pushes suicidality. It pushes all of these things that ultimately depress American teens and drive them to do unthinkable things. I have serious issue with TikTok. I don't know if this is the right approach. What do you guys think? Uh, let's see here. Ekim says, as long as it's only TikTok. Not sure about that. I think it is so far. Uh, Two Ladies says, Liz, we need to drop off prisoners released early from prisons to her home, too. She was actually the one who wanted to keep them in prison for too long. Remember, she wanted them to give their continued forced labor in California. She wanted to make them do um, all of that work that nobody else wanted to do. Keenan says, Rumble and Twitter need to let us choose our quality. Bad connection still plays 144 not Rumble or Twitter. Keenan says, buffering. Yeah, I know it can be frustrating. Sorry about that. Greg says, Twitter needs to let us see other people's comments. I agree. And listen with screen closed. Lots of different applications could improve that. I know that not everybody wants to allow you to listen or watch or just listen with your screen off. Doesn't sound good. Andy says, the Twitter live stream experience looks and sounds fine. Two ladies says commenting is kind of challenging, but in a pinch, it isn't bad. Keenan says landowners and government contractors donate to both parties. Taxes suck, but politicians, <laughs> thank you. Greg says, just think of the BVP safety, LOL. There's no safety threat offered by migrants. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sure that Kamala Harris is generous enough that she's more than happy to provide dinner and a safe place to sleep and hang out to these poor people who have come specifically from Venezuela. That's what they've been telling us, right? 
the poor plebs who actually have to deal with an actual broken border. They don't care. They don't care. Greg says, Rumble says, I'm forbidden to leave a comment on the live chat. I'm sorry to hear that. Can you log in with a different user? Ekim says, makes you wonder who the actual baddies are, doesn't it? For sure. Andy says, it's working on all platforms. That's awesome. Fear Me as Priest says, hey, Lydia, congrats on the new little one. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Very excited. But currently, that's making it hard for me to breathe, which I don't appreciate. And I know it's only going to get worse as they continue to grow and put pressure on my lungs. Very excited about that. I thought if I was tall enough, I could kind of escape some of that. I'm five foot eleven, so you think that I'd have plenty of space for you know like a little one and also all my organs to function normally. Apparently not. But this is also the trimester when I'm making more blood. Circulatory is going crazy. I'm feeling more tired, which is funny when they were like, "Oh, this is your best trimester," and I'm like, "No, I'm struggling. Sorry, I'm struggling over here." And I'll often sit up at night and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. I feel like I can't breathe. And he's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, no, I feel like I can't breathe. I'm dying over here. So it's going to be a struggle. All good. We'll make it happen. Keenan says Montana balloon. Yes. Remember when that balloon from China floated over the entire United States and the Biden administration actively chose not to do anything about this? Guys, we have to win in 2024. Our country cannot take Four more years of this kind of administration. And I don't mean specifically Joe Biden. I mean the people behind him. I mean the people pulling his strings. Because this is not him doing this. It's not. It's just not. This man, like Caleb was saying the other day, is not alert and oriented toward anything other than maybe himself. And perhaps his love for chocolate chocolate chip ice cream. Which now I really want ice cream. Thanks a lot, Joe Biden. Yeah, there's no way. This isn't him doing it. This means that if we allow Democrats to stay in power party, if we don't choose a candidate who can and will win across multiple different demographics, including women, including independents and moderates, then we're going to be stuck with more policies like the ones that see our border completely open, the ones that don't care and that actively wage war against pro-life protesters, and the ones that just close their eyes and cover their ears while a literal Chinese spy balloon goes over the entire United States, including over military functions in Montana and places like that. We can't handle it. Our country, I don't think, is going to be able to pull through four more years of Democrat rule. But we just need somebody who can win. Let's get into it for sure. All right, you guys, we had a little bit of a hiccup with our transmission of frame rate. It looks like we're back in the green. It did get down to red and yellow. Um, OBS gives me uh, a, um, a little indicator of what our frame rate is, and it looks like it dropped a little bit, but it looks like now we're over 9,000 again, so we should be go good to go for here. Good to go for now. Oh my gosh, can't even talk. Why am I doing this? Why am I commenting? I can't even speak. Whisper says, my first pregnancy, I had horrible carpal tunnel. I'd wake up screaming, crying in pain. Oh my gosh. I slept sitting up for six months. He was totally worth it. Yes. When I had shoulder surgery, I also had to sleep sitting up for quite a while. It was awful to try to lie down. So I'm assuming my future holds a lot of sleeping in the recliner and that's okay. I'm used to it. I can make it happen, but I'm really glad that I haven't had any carpal tunnel yet. Thankfully, it's just been... <sighs> Difficulty breathing, unfortunately, which makes it hard for me to talk. Again, again, why am I commentating? But here we are. Happy to bring you guys the news. Happy to hear what you all have to say. I love and appreciate every single one of you guys. You are all awesome. Let's check on the stream over here. Oh, cool beans. Oh, Andy put up the rumbling. That's super cool. Very neat. Now streaming on Twitter, YouTube, and Rumble. 
we do have a podcast. That's correct. I'm always surprised when people don't realize that we have a podcast, but I know almost everybody has a podcast now. So we're trying to publicize ours a little bit more and make sure that everyone knows what's going on. We're just talking about normal stuff that matters to normal people. So hopefully you guys are appreciating that for sure. Let's take a quick peek. Ooh, we have the fancy Twitter version now, so you can actually go in and edit your tweets, which is fun. All right, what we got here? Oh, yeah. Glenn Greenwald confirms Bellingcat is funded by the U.S. government's CIA-adjacent arms, the National Endowment for Democracy, and the EU government's agencies, well-documented, including its own financial forms. That's right. Of course, its biggest fans are those whose views fully align with the U.S. government foreign policy. Of course, Correct. Oh, yeah. This is the other thing that happened today. Dot lost a tooth. It was crazy. I was sitting on the recliner thinking, she's supposedly losing her teeth, right? Where are they going? And in the meantime, she was standing at the side of the recliner pulling on this toy that she loves that we got for free. And she's pulling and pulling and pulling, kind of growling, playing with me, playing tug of war. And I hear this tinkle on the floor. And I'm like, what the heck was that? And I was like, oh, my gosh that's a tooth because I saw it and it was white and it was tiny and it went under the chair. So I got down and I found it and I'm like, it's this little crazy thing. It's so interesting because apparently with um, puppy teeth, like with human, um, they're called deciduous teeth because they fall out. They don't have a root. So when they come out, they're just like a little tiny tooth, like a little molar. It looks like it's so interesting. I was fascinated. And I think since she lost a tooth, she gets a little puppy toy for sure. Oh, yeah. And I was also ranting about boomers. So this is really this is something that's really, really near and dear to my heart. Right. I constantly complain about the state of the world. You know this. I do this every day. Right. Um, And part of the reason that we are in the state we're in is because boomers chose to vote the way they chose. Right. We know this is the case. It's not really something you can argue with. So let's look at this. I wrote one of those really long tweets. so I'll just read it real quick. Fun to hear Matt Walsh blog. That is Matt Walsh. Take up my points about how different things were for boomers than they have been for millennials and Gen Z. Boomers inherited prosperity and wealth. They leave crumbs for their children and grandchildren. 100% not sorry. This is incontrovertible. So one of the things that happens when I say this, conservatives come at me and they tell me I need to work harder. I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I need to manage money better and I shouldn't be complaining. No, no, no. I worked extremely hard having chosen not to assume irresponsible student loan debt for my entire 20s. I mean, entire 20s. Actually, before I was 20. I'm talking 80 hours a week. I had three jobs at the same time. Community college. I did not get ahead until very fortunate circumstances came my way. That is, I got hired with MCAS. You guys know this well. At no point did I stop and think, I definitely make enough to afford a house now because I never did. You guys know that boomers were raised in a world where you did not have to go to college to be able to afford a married life, a single income household, and a house. We know this. This isn't a case of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This simply is not possible anymore. At no point did I start to think, my ex married me exclusively, and I will say this is part of the reason he is my ex, the reason we are divorced, the reason I am so much happier now. Married me solely because he knew that I would work tirelessly no matter what. He needed someone to put him through school. There was no other way he was going to go to school. If anyone could have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, it would have been me. But things were different for me than they were for my parents, and it actually is their generation's fault. Boomers voted for policies that brought up our current decline. They raised millennials who vote for the same rotten ideas. 
Gen X is not innocent either. They raised Gen Z, who is, if anything, even worse. Boomer polls refuse to retire at 80 plus. I'm talking to you, Diane Feinstein and Joe Biden. They will ride this country into the ground before handing it off to the kids they raised, run, and their grandkids. Even worse. I'm referring to an entire generation here with the understanding that my own is not better. I'm not singling any one person out. My parents are rare and so am I. But anytime I mentioned that times are different and hard, conservatives spring to defend the just work harder, live cheaper. Why are you so bad at managing money? Hint, if millennials are bad at managing money, I would say blame rests on their parents, wouldn't you? And actually, everything is fine lines, even though the entirety of the rest of their timelines are committed to complaining vehemently about Biden and his horrendous economy. I'm just saying there's definitely something there, something we should consider. And if we are going to be compassionate and win points with Gen Z and with millennials, we need to understand where they're coming from. Now, we don't need to agree with them on everything. I don't agree with other millennials on almost anything. I don't agree with Zoomers on like literally anything. But we need to be compassionate because times aren't easy. And they're certainly not like they were when boomers were young. Moving on. Oh, I'm going to skip this one. All it was really funny. Pretty sure at the end of my life. Okay, here's a tweet that said a new report from the WBDOL, and that is the Women's Bureau, finds the average woman will lose $237,000 in earnings over her lifetime thanks to unpaid caregiving for children and parents. She'll forego another $58,000 in retirement, savings, and Social Security. That's bad, right? Well, pretty sure that at the end of my life, the memory of spending time with my kids will be much more meaningful to me than the idea that I could have had a little more money. And someone in my comments pointed out, how much do you think childcare costs? Seriously, pretty sure it's more than 58000 or to even $237,000 over the course of a lifetime. Let me see if I can find that indeed. Uh, let's see here. Why have a baby and leave it all day? What's the point? That's a great comment. I like that. If it was somehow possible and not unethical, I'd find a way to have a child for 300 k Yeah, well... You will have added more to society than a richer woman. Unpaid. It's absolutely not unpaid to take care of your kids. In fact, um, C.S. Lewis is on record as having said, being a home economic major, as my mother used to call them, women who are stay-at-home moms, is the um, career for which all other careers operate. There is no higher calling than raising a future generation. I firmly believe that this person is super left-leaning. I understand that women miss out on physical stuff like money and people like Janet Yellen will tell them that they need to work and they need to commit abortions so that they can get ahead. But at the end of the day, it's not right. It's not right. It's a lie. They're lying to women. They always have. Um, and much as I love capitalism, I have to say that not everyone should be working for capitalistic enterprises. But Guys, I'm super out of breath. I think I've said all the words I'm going to say this evening. Thank you so much for joining me. I truly appreciate your time. Um, thank you, two ladies. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Keenan. Thank you, Whisper. I love all of you guys in the chat. I appreciate very much your time and your commentary. I'm going to go now and possibly pass out, probably check on Dot and see if she's lost any more teeth. Tune in tomorrow for more of the same. I hope to have an interview for tomorrow. Not sure if we do. Great. If not, We'll just roll with it. We'll see what happens. Until next time, bye, guys.